0: It is uh, my joy and my pleasure to be able to be with you this morning, to be able to uh, bring God's Word. Um, We are in the midst of a series, a summer series, in which we're just going through the names of God. And we have developed a pattern throughout these past few weeks um, when when we've been walking through this series where we have... um, Declared a name that God declares about himself, Uh, so we tell you what the name is, Uh, we we tell you what that name means about God and his character, Uh, we share about uh, what it means for us, and then we uh, see how it relates to the gospel, because we know everything in scripture always points back to the gospel, and each one of these names clearly does this. And we are just continuing this series this morning as we are, are opening God's word together. Um, this series is important because God tells us who he is and we need to know who he is. Uh, Many of us um, know God at a very basic level uh, when God tells us intimately who he is. There are a number of us who've been walking with Jesus for many, many, many years and we would say that we have an intimate relationship with the Father. We can never stop learning more and more about who he is. Uh, It is interesting to me uh, as I uh, become a lot more wise in my old age um, that the more I grow in my relationship with Jesus the more I learn more about who God is the smaller I feel and I think that's purposefully because God is so huge and so big and God tells us who he is. Let's pray this morning as we open God's word together. God, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do. Standing outside of time, standing outside of history, you knew exactly what we needed as we walked this earth. You knew our struggles as sin entered into this world, and you knew um, uh, how much we needed to know about you, and you make yourself very clear and very known throughout all of Scripture. God, forgive our sinful hearts for reading the Bible like a good book. Um, We just kind of gloss over the important things in which you tell us so much detail about yourself. I'm thankful for series like this where it allows us and it it draws us to to slow down and to notice things that we normally just breeze right over. And I just pray this morning that you would take this name that we're focusing on, that you would put it deep in our hearts, that you would teach us this morning what it says about yourself, and I pray, God, that you um, would convict our hearts, draw us to yourself this morning. Make yourself known. We beg you and we ask you. And lastly, God, I ask that you would um, just be my words in my heart. I don't want to be on this stage if you're not a part of it. And I just beg that you would move this morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are um, talking about the word el echad and so um, just kidding it's not el echad that's what you would say here in the west um, so it's el echad um, if you're a hebrew you make the ch sound and so it's el echad and i know it sounds a little uh, funny and i apologize if you're in the front row this morning um, but as i talk about el echad i'm going to say it like that because that's the way that it was intended to be said and so like i would say yahweh like that i would say el echad and so um, get all your laughs out now because that's what you're going to hear that more and more um, but um, God uses the word Elahah. <laughs> Overthinking. Thank you. Overthinking it this morning. Overthinking it. Uh, God uses the word Elahah to talk about Himself in Scripture, and one of the most prominent places that we see it very clearly is in the Book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and oh, simply, what it means is the one God. God says all throughout scripture that he is the one God, the only God, and we see it super clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to spend about four minutes and give you about a four-minute sermon, and so if you, if you want to listen to only for four minutes, listen to these four minutes, and you'll get everything that we're trying to say, and then uh, we'll unpack it as we just continue to move forward, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and verse 5 say this, um, God says this about Himself. Deuteronomy 6 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. El Ahad. We've seen as we've walked through these names that the word El at the very beginning just simply means God. And Achad one or the one. And so God is the only one, the one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We can focus on this one name of God because God gives such intent focus to it, and he declares this about himself so clearly right here in Scripture. This is not the only place. It is littered all throughout Scripture what God, uh, how he builds on this idea that he is the only one true God. And it's right that he says that he is the one God attached to the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Do you remember a conversation that Jesus had in the New Testament um, whenever he was asked what the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is? G- Jesus' answer pointed right back here to um, what is known as the Shema. This, this verse right here, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Jesus continues, It says, The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. God is one. There is only one God. There's only one commandment that we must follow, and that is to love Him above everything else. And when we do, all the other commandments just kind of fall into place. A general thesis statement is found right here in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. This is important to us because God created us, you and me, all of humanity. He has created us to worship. He intentionally instilled in our hearts the desire to worship something greater than us. That desire for worship is God-given for all of humanity. What we need to know and what we need to realize is every single one of us, we worship something every single day. It doesn't matter if you're connected to a church, if you call yourself a Jesus follower or not, but we are created to worship things that are bigger than us. We are created to see something and long for it, something that that we just can't attain by ourselves. but we go for it anyway, whether it's this direction or that direction. We worship things in our own lives, and God is saying, I am the one God who deserves all of your worship, who who deserves all of your praise. And I'm just continuing to study on this name all throughout Scripture, it is... um, It's fascinating to me how much this is littered all throughout Scripture. I want us to flip back to Exodus chapter 34 and just see something uh, that I think is pretty fascinating right here. Um, And so we find ourselves in Exodus 34, right after uh, Moses is walking with the Israelites. He's on Mount Sinai, he's up on the mountain, he receives the Ten Commandments. He brings the Ten Commandments down to um, the nation of Israel, and he notices that they have built this golden calf. Maybe you've heard this story before. And so uh, the nation of Israel, whenever Moses was gone, god Moses was gone Uh, they wanted a god to worship so they created this golden calf and uh, Moses saw it when he came off the mountain and he threw his tablets down and he shattered this altar with the tablets and the tablets shattered as well and so um, that story is a fascinating story but it continues where Moses goes back up on the mountain he gets the 10 commandments in the stone tablets again and God communicates with um, with Moses and what I think is fascinating it is it's right after Israel worshiped a false idol a false god they were worshiping the wrong thing and God says to Moses on the mountain when he's receiving the second tablets in verse 10 so Exodus thirty four ten, it starts off and he says and he said God said behold I am making a covenant before all of your people I will do marvelous such, uh, I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all of the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is the awesome thing that I will do with you. Verse 11, observe what I command to you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. Hear that again. Take care as you go into the land and as I deliver these people into you. Verse 12. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. Verse 13. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down the ashram. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they, um, uh, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after other gods and sacrifice to their gods. And you are invited in to eat of their sacrifices. And it continues on. And it continues on. God's warning. To the nation of israel as he's talking to moses is take heed take care when you go into the land when you go into the promised land in which i'm giving you do not give in to these false gods these false idols why because i am a jealous god there is no one else who deserves worship other than myself tear down their altars so that you will not be tempted to worship anything else other than me do this because i am a jealous god and i want you to yearn after me this is why the elahad is so important is because there is one god and one god only and our hearts are um, yearning to worship something, and we will attach ourselves to the most um, beautiful thing that we see with our eyes and our hearts. And God says, I want that thing to be me, so take away all temptations and follow after me and me alone. That's the point of God being the Elohim. What does it say about God? Um, two things I want us to see here, what this says about God. Number one, it is saying about God that there is no other God. If you have your Bibles, uh, flip over to uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 44. Isaiah 44, looking at verse 6. This is a section where God says, There is no other God besides me. He starts off and he says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what has come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be dismayed. I have not told you from of old uh, and declare I have not told you from of old and declare it, and you are my witness. Is there a god besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. His declaration is I am the one true only God. My mind can't help but to go from that passage of scripture to something we read in 1 Kings 18. We're not going to read from this. I just want to tell you what's going on in 1 Kings 18. If you don't know this story, go back and read it for yourself sometime this week. But in 1 Kings 18, we see um, the prophet Elijah, who's interacting with the king of Israel, Ahab. And so um, they're, they're having a conversation. Ahab was a, an evil king. He did not pursue the Lord. And Elijah is calling him back to the Lord. But King Ahab served the king of Baal. And Elijah says, let me take on these prophets and I will show you who the one true only God is. So 450 prophets of Baal come before Elijah, who stands alone, and they build an altar. Maybe you're familiar with, with this story. And the, uh, the prophets of Baal cry from heaven and bring fire upon this altar. Oh, gods of Baal, um, ignite this altar to where it is just uh, consumed with flames. And they go on and on and on. It's really a comical story whenever you read it, because you see the way that Elijah is taunting the prophets of Baal all the way through. They're so exhausted. They start cutting themselves to, to awaken their gods and to no avail, nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn, the way he prays, one simple prayer and fire from heaven comes down and ignites the altar that is entrenched with water and it is consumed and it is gone. And it is God saying, I am the one true only God. Look at verse 7 of what we just read in Isaiah 44. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. If anyone else says that they are God, go ahead, do it. Proclaim it to the rooftops. Not only proclaim that you're God, how about you tell about the future and watch it come to pass? No one's ever been able to do that. That's what scripture has done all throughout. History has proven that God is the one true only God. The things that we see in this book have been laid out from the beginning of time and God has been true to his promises. Not one promise has been undelivered in its right time. Yes, we're still waiting on other promises, but we wait with faith and hope because of who he's been in the past. Man, who is like me, God says. Let him proclaim it. God says, I dare you. There is no other God. Secondly, as creator of all, as God is creator of all, he is the ultimate authority. Right here in Isaiah 44, let's skip to verse 21. I'm sorry, 24. And let's look what God says about him being creator and how it makes him the one God. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. So we're starting right there. God brought life to you. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by itself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools Of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who conforms the word of his servant to fulfill the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, She shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins, who says to the deep, Be dry, I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, He will be my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purposes, saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Again, so much going on here that we could spend an entire sermon talking about what's going on right here in this text. But what simply God is doing is He's saying, I've created all of it. Not only have I created, I could say, Dry up this river, and this river will be dry. Uh, again, thinking back to Job's interaction in the Book of Job with God, when he starts questioning God, and God, at the end of the book of Job, lays into him and says, "Where were you when I created the stars?" How dare you question who I am? Because I put it all into order and all into motion. This is the same thing that God is doing right here in Isaiah. It's beautiful for us to see God in this way. What is our response? when we know that there is no other God, and when we know that as creator, he has authority over all things, he is supreme over all of it, what is our response? Well, this section starts off with what the response should be. Look at verse 23 of Isaiah 44. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Our response as we see the redemption of God and the creation of God is to sing and to worship. Remember what I said at the very beginning? We were all created to worship. And we do. We have to recognize the things that we worship every single day. But God says, as you see me in my rightful place, you will have no other place to turn than to sing praises to me. That is why we gather to be reminded of who this God is in this place so that our hearts are convicted of the ways in which we do not worship God and we worship other things so that we can turn our heart's intent and focus on Him. In 2017, we have two cautions coming from this text. There are many people that live in our neighborhoods and go to work with us and that we're in relationship with that do not recognize God as God. And it is a responsibility we have as Jesus followers to be able to see that and to notice that and be able to speak when rightfully so the truth of who God is. But one thing our culture does is they reject God really well, they don't recognize him as God. But how dare we point our finger to the culture and say they're bad? because they don't recognize God. Because as mom taught me, when there's one finger pointing at them, there's three fingers pointing back at you. You guys ever heard that before? No, okay. More serious offense in the church is that we recognize him as God, but throughout the slow progression of our life, something else stills our affection away from Him. Revelation 3.16 calls us lukewarm. You're neither hot, you're neither cold. That is our warning. Do not be lukewarm. Do not let other things steal your affections away from this one true God and worship Him and Him only. So, what does all this say to us as we continue this conversation what I want to do is spend the rest of our time looking in the book of Malachi. Uh, it's, it's a small um, uh, prophet book in the Old Testament. If you could find your way to Matthew, the book before Matthew is the book of Malachi. And I want to see what um, Malachi's prophecy is to the nation of Israel. Allow it to challenge us and who we are. And I want to encourage us as we leave this place today. So Malachi, what's going on when he wrote this prophecy, as he spoke this prophecy as well to the nation of Israel? If you know anything about um, Israel's history, they worked in the promised land. They had judges that oversaw the promised land because God was their one true king. They declared they wanted a king. They didn't want God to be the king anymore. They wanted a physical king. So they brought kings on to. The picture, and then uh, throughout the sinfulness of these kings, they kept leading Israel astray. So there was like an emotional roller coaster going on all over the place, and unfaithfulness with the people serving God. And God declared to them, "Get your hearts right before Me. Uh, don't worship any of these other gods." And they continued to walk away from God. And God led them, Israel, into captivity. So there were two times that they went off into captivity. Assyria captured Israel and Babylon captured Judah. And they were no longer living in the promised land. This is a big deal for the nation of Israel. But for 70 years, they lived outside the land. 70 years later, they start working their way back inside the land through Nehemiah, who saw the broken walls of Jerusalem and the temple that has been destroyed, and he worked his way back to Israel. And Babylon released Israel in droves, and they went back to the promised land, and they're living in this land. They have been living in exile. Now they are living in the promised land again, and that's where Malachi is prophesying to them, calling them to get their hearts right. He's going to use... um, He's going to use words of reminding them who they are. He's going to use words of rebuke that lead them away from false worship. He's also going to call them back to faithfulness with him. Reminding, rebuke, call back to faithfulness. Man, what a beautiful picture of grace for the nation of Israel as he does not leave them, but he walks with them. Let's start off in Malachi 2 verses 10, and we're going to see the Elihad right here in this verse, and then we're going to unpack a couple more verses as we see the movement throughout this book. Malachi 2.10 Have we not all one father? Have we not all Elihad? Has not one God created us? Again, attaching it back to creation on why we would serve this one God and why he is better than everything else. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? This is the cry of Malachi to the people. You do not serve one father anymore. You do not serve one God. You have profaned his name. You do your rituals that give him some type of honor and glory, but you do not worship him and him alone. We look at what he's done in creation, and we still do not worship him. So my call, God's call through Malachi, is to call the people back. To faithfulness but let's look real briefly uh, through how god reminds them who they are so malachi chapter one verses two through five uh, sorry two and three god is saying to the nation of israel i have loved you thus saith the lord but you say how have you loved us now we cannot fault israel here for asking, how in the world, God, have you loved us? They have just spent 70 years in captivity, away from their promised land, away from their temple where the presence of God has dwelt, and they've just, I can assume, felt abandoned by God. And so they work their way back in the promised land, and they say to God, how have you loved us? And God responds in a very unique way. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to the hill country and left his heritage to shackles of the desert. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob continues the nation of Israel, and Esau did not. Israel came from the bloodline of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and God points back to them. I have chosen you from the beginning of time. You were from the bloodline of Jacob, and I have never left you. Look at Esau, who are the Edomites. Look at them. I never walked with them like I walked with you. I chose you and I declared who I am through you and I have never forgotten you and I have never left you. God reminds them who they are. You are my children. Though I get the question of what you're asking from me, this is who you are. We move on to the second thing. God not just reminds them who they are, but he rebukes their false worship. Let's look at verse 6 as God speaks to the priests that are offering sacrifices in Israel at this time. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? God is saying, if I'm your father, how in the world are you honoring me with what you were doing? And he unpacks what they're doing. And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Here's the answer. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is this not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is this not evil? Present that to your governor and he will accept you or will he, or will he show you favor, says the Lord? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says Lord of hosts. So they're offering the offering that is not what God intended. God said to them, offer your best lamb with no blemishes. But they're offering blind animals and lame animals and sick animals he continues in verse 10 oh that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain so what you're doing is in vain i have no pleasure in you says the lord of hosts and i will not accept an offering from your hand israel asks god where have you been and god says I've been with you this entire time. And when you're back in the land, your affections are divided. They are far from me. You do not worship me and me alone. Your worship, your pleasure, I'm sorry, you worship your pleasure more than you worship me. You'd rather keep the best lambs for yourself. Instead, you offer the sickest lambs to me. Again, we can't blame them. In the season of dryness, in the season of not knowing where God is and where God was, they continue the sacrifices. But the the, the rituals and the sacrifices just aren't quite as passionate as it was centuries before because they felt far from God. And they, they, they do the things that they need to do, but it's not in the way that God calls them to do it. And God is saying to them, I'm not receiving your sacrifices because they're detestable to me. You have polluted these sacrifices. Your priests, God is saying, have completed these offerings. And he's going to say to the people, and your people worship me with a half heart. Verse 10 and verse 11. He talks to the people. Have we not one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one father profaning the covenant of our fathers judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in israel and in jerusalem for judah has profaned the sanctuary of the lord which he loves and it continues on and it shares examples of how they have polluted it's good read but we connect our hearts to this we start saying maybe we don't pollute god in the way that israel has but we find ourselves in the same situation so not only does god remind them of who they are and also god rebukes them of false worship god calls them back to faithfulness with him and we see that in uh, the end of chapter two in the beginning of chapter three israel asking god where are you Remember what I've just described. The temple has been destroyed. The nation of Israel has really seen the presence of God in the temple. Whenever Moses built the tabernacle after Mount Sinai, the presence of God dwelt in the temple. The presence of God led them by fire um, in the day, or sorry, cloud in the day and fire by night. The presence of God was super obvious and super clear. Solomon built the temple, and the presence of God dwelt in the holy of holies. It was there. They could see it. They knew what happened whenever you walked in the holies of holies. It wasn't just something, a myth that was out there that scared people. People walked in there in the way that God said not to, and they were struck down because God said, uh, that's not right. So Israel has seen the presence of God. And now they're looking at this broken down temple and broken walls, and they're saying, where are you, God? Malachi 2, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, with your complaining, and with your moaning. You have made the Lord tired. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil Is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? God, where are you? Behold, and here's the promise to us and the call Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fooler's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and... Uh, uh, he were, sorry he will refine them like gold and silver and they will be, um, bring offering in righteousness to the lord then the offering of judah and jerusalem will be a pleasing will be pleasing to the lord as in the days of old and in the former years malachi's prophecy is the messenger is coming the presence of god is coming once again but it's not going to come in the way that you've seen it before in the past it will come and as we look back we know that he's talking about in the body and in the person of jesus christ we ask time and time again god where have you been in our own lives circumstances happen and we enter dry seasons and we do the rituals as we see um, Israel doing the rituals but yet our heart is far from him because we have not experienced his presence we have not seen him in a while and we find ourselves just going through the motions we worship Jesus have-hearted but we don't really believe that is actually there God is saying to us the same thing that he said to the nation of Israel. God reminds us of who we are. You are you are part of the bloodline of Abraham. You are part of the Jewish history if you are a follower of Jesus. You are chosen and redeemed by God from the beginning of time. God has loved you and God has walked with you and he has um, uh, introduced you to who Jesus is and this is who you are. You are my child adopted into my bloodline. That's who we are. God rebukes us of our false worship. So he loves us with the words that he chooses to use, but he also loves us by saying, your heart is divided. It is not single-minded in the way that you pursue me. And then lastly, God calls us back to faithfulness with him. So how does this Elahad point to the gospel? Well, right here in Malachi is a great place to start. This one God is saying the presence of God is no longer in this temple. He is one God, and he will um, bring his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to redeem all people to himself. We know the presence of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5-7, as we turn to the New Testament, we see it really clearly here as well. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and in truth. Our hearts cry for God to reveal himself in certain ways. And when God doesn't deliver, it affects our worship. And God is saying, come back to me. I'm ready to receive you. I am this one God who has provided Jesus, who knows that you do not have the ability to worship me fully in the spirit and in truth. It is our sin that leads us away from him. But yet he draws us back to himself because he constantly walks with us as we seek to worship him. Let's be honest. The God we seek many times is way too small. The li- um, our lives are full of doubt. Our lives are full of distraction. Our lives are full of Of shame our lives are full of doubt I don't know about you I've had moments where I'm literally sitting in a dark room praying just to experience God again and I've tested God and I said God if you just make that light blink I'll know that you're there I don't know if you've ever had those experiences those desperate moments I wish I could say and God made that light blink that's not my story. <laughs> we doubt. We want to see something physical from God to bring us back into relationship with Him. And we will say, I will worship you, God, if you just make that light blink. No, we won't. Our worship then is, uh, is on what is seen, and it's not on what is unseen. God is unseen. But God's presence is constant. Even though if God makes that light blink, you're going to worship the scene. And you're going to need to see him blink that light over and over and over again to continue to prove to you. That's not God's intent. We have distraction. And in distraction, we think that only if I had more time in the day, I would truly worship God. 24 hours just isn't enough. Man, I got school, I got sports, I got life, I got work, I got dinner, I got cleaning, I got making sure my kids don't kill each other, I got dot, 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 we can keep going, right? I got to do the hike, right? Because I got to stay in physical peak condition. Uh, Anyway. um, (laughs) Distraction. God, I'll worship you if I could just find more time in the day. No, you won't. Because we worship our pleasure. We always do the things that we want to do. The hard part is, is we like sin. We like us more than we like to be with God. We like to be with the physical more than we like to be with the unseen. Hmm. Distraction gets in our way. If it's not a distraction, maybe it's shame. If only I could get my life straight. If only I could get this sin issue under control. If only I could be a different person, then I would have a stronger worship of Jesus Christ. No, we won't. Because our worship is centered on how we feel. Man, wanting to see something happen from God is not a bad thing. Wanting more time in the day so that we could spend time with God is not a bad thing. Wanting God to... To meet us in our emotion and and to to, uh, meet us in where we feel is not a bad thing. But whenever we make our relationship um, with God about that thing, and we beg God to do and to change these things because it's going to make us worship him differently, we got to realize we're fooling ourselves. We don't worship Jesus because our hearts haven't been changed in this moment. God says to us that he does not aim to fix what is on the peripheral. These feelings and these scenes, and the, we can just keep going on and on. These are the peripheral. These are the things we get to experience as gifts of God. God me, uh, meeting us in our emotion and making us feel emotionally happy. That is a gift from God. That's not something that's promised every single day. But what is promised is that God will walk with you through every situation. He does not aim to fix was on the peripheral he wants to fix our core he wants to fix our hearts and that is where we need to aim our prayer life the gospel does not say that on our own we will never stop doubting the gospel does not say, sorry the gospel says that on our own we will never um stop doubting. The gospel says that on our own, we will always choose other things over God. The gospel says that on our own, our life will never be straight. But Jesus says, I have come to walk with you. Do not be surprised when doubt kicks in, when distraction kicks in, when shame kicks in. These are natural pathways of life. But God sa- Jesus says, I don't want you to stay there. I want to walk with you as you walk through these things we must stop wanting god to fix our circumstances and we must must beg god to fix our hearts here's my challenge for us this week make it simple because i'm a simple man if you make it too complex i'm not going to do it a lot of us in this room we struggle meeting god daily in our own personal lives. And my challenge is that we recognize that God is the el He is the one God. He is the one who deserves all of our worship and all of our praise. We do not need to be super spiritual tomorrow morning. It is not our goal to be the next Apostle Paul, but it is our goal to be praying that God would change our hearts and draw us closer to him. And it is our challenge to build these disciplines so my challenge to me, my challenge to you. Make it reasonable. Three days this week, five days this week, you just sit down and you open God's word. And you just send, spend a simple time reading a psalm, reading a proverb, reading a book in the New Testament, whatever it may be that you would spend time with Jesus and allow him to speak into you. And every single day you ask for the heart to want to be with him. And when you want to choose these other things, that doesn't mean God's abandoned you. That just means that, yeah, your sin nature is still there. You just need to come back and be begging that God would change your heart. Three days this week, five days this week. If you struggle reading God's word because it's, it's hard for you to focus on, that's okay. Maybe you pick up a book that you, from a trusted author that you love or that you like or have been recommended to you, and you start there. Make sure it's a book that points to God's word, that doesn't talk about your feelings, but that points you to God. And you read that book and you identify with it. It's a good place to start knowing that in your life you need, to be, you need to be nursed off that book and into the word of God. Small steps. To just be with God. To worship him so we can come together in this building every single Sunday morning and worship in spirit and in truth for what God is doing in our lives. We're going to continue worshiping him now as we close our service out and just receiving communion. If you're part of the worship team i want to invite you back on this stage but uh, we we receive um, communion twice a month as a church what this is is it's a time for us to um, follow the lord's command to uh, partake of his broken body and his spilt blood in remembrance of what christ has done on the cross for us This is something as a church, as followers of Jesus, that we do together. If you're a guest here this morning, we are so thankful that you are here, but you don't have to participate in this. This is something we get to do as a church family. If you're here this morning hearing the gospel truth for the first time, and you're like, I can identify with that because I know that I am weak and I know that I see this God and I want to surrender my life to him, then maybe this is the very first time you take communion, understanding who God is. I just ask that you pray and you center your life on Jesus before coming forward and that we get to receive communion together. We have two places up front here, right in front of me, and then two on the side. We got two in the back and we have some in the balcony as well just to keep the flow smooth, as we've talked about the past few times. If we can be coming down these middle aisles and the wall uh, areas, these are the one-way traffic down, and then these two aisles here are the flow back. That just keeps things flowing smoothly. But what I would like to do is just pray. Spend a few moments preparing our hearts for communion, receiving the broken body of Christ and the spilled blood for him at this table by taking a cracker and dipping it in the juice and partaking. And I'd like to just give us a moment to prepare.